The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Morning, I'm Lyle Schmidt. I'm privileged to be the transition pastor for Highlands as they seek to, to fill the position of pastor. I was looking at my calendar the other day and I realized I've been here four and a half months already and the time has just scooted by, for me anyway. Maybe it's drug on for you. You have to <laughs> listen, listen to me from, from time to time. But, but it has just scooted, scooted right by and I'm amazed how quickly it always goes. Maybe that's just part of getting old or something. But, uh, so it's a good thing, you know. It just goes by so, so quickly. When we decided to come and be with you for this, uh, through this transition, you don't realize how hard of a decision it was for me to make because we weren't moving to, to Paso Robles. We were going to commute to Paso Robles. And so one of the things we had to do was we had to find a place to stay. And that's, uh, you know, that's always a challenge do you want some place that's a, a place of comfort, an inviting place, a, a safe place to come where you know you'll be safe and where it will be a, a good sort of thing? Now, I started looking at the various motels that Paso Robles had to offer, <laughs> wonderful places. And uh, I knew that Peggy wouldn't be too happy in most of the places. I don't know, you men, you, you know, we don't often make those kinds of decisions about that because my, our, our levels, a threshold of, of acceptable and unacceptable float around be, be compared to our spouses. I knew one place that I should avoid was the, it was the Heartbreak Hotel. Maybe, maybe you've stayed at the Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, it's not a good place. I, I don't know. Maybe you have. It's not the good place. Let's, you know, I need a little help with this. Can we uh, bring Elvis on there? And don't look below his waist, by the way. What can you say? But he just seems to remind me of somebody I know with a guitar and a microphone here at Highland. Isn't he going to do that to you too? It's just, I don't, yeah, see, and I don't have that anymore, you know? It's, it's you throw your back out when you get to my age and you try to do what the king, what the king does. It's just not something possible. So, so I leave it up to the young guys and, and they're, they're good at it. And, and it's so blessed to be here with, with 
the, the talent that is here. The Apostle Paul, on our road trip, found himself in Athens. He wasn't staying at the Heartbreak Hotel, but he was staying somewhere in the city. He had time on his hands. He had arrived early. He had left Timothy and Silas in the small northern town called Berea and gone on ahead to uh, wait for them in Athens. For Paul to wait didn't mean to do nothing. It didn't mean he, he was the tourist of, of Athens, seeing the sights and just taking it all in and then getting ready to move on to the next city. He did what he did in every town that he went to. He shared about his faith in God and the power and the presence of God in Jesus Christ and what that meant for the people of, of Athens. He went to the marketplace and he shared there. He would go to the places of worship and share there. The people of Athens began to hear about Paul, and so they invited him to come to speak at a place called the Areopagus. It's kind of like the Facebook of the first century. It was a place where you could go and post pictures and, and, and put your political slogans up there, and you could go and talk about various things, and people would gather just to, to listen and to friend you. They'd give you the thumbs up or they'd give you the thumbs down at the Areopagus. That's where Paul was invited in Acts 17. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Whereas I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an, op, uh, an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as what's unknown, as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So, so get ready. Paul's going to tell us something. He's going to tell the Athenians something, but he's also going to tell us something. He's going to tell us who this unknown God is to the Athenians, this God who seemed to be unknowable at least to the Athenians, that they would even raise a marker, a monument, and put an inscription on it that said, to an unknown God. They were in love with ideas and knowledge and, and thinking about great things, talking about everything, but they were people of so little action. What they thought about and what they learned did not extrapolate into something that they would do to change their lives. They just wanted to hear. They just wanted to, to have their, their ears tingled with these thoughts and new thoughts. You see, they would bring people from all over the world at that point to Greece, to Athens, to hear these things. Athens was really like the center of the first century world. Rome was the ruling section, but Athens and Greece was the center of great thought and, and all of the ideas of the whole Roman Empire kind of culminated in the city of Athens. And the writer of Acts notices this. And he says in verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent all their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They just wanted to listen and hear and talk about them. They really want to 
do a whole lot about them. You know, we just came through a political season. I'm so glad. I don't know about you, but I am so glad it's over. Even though we have politics and it's always kind of in the forefront of the news, at least we're not being bombarded daily by each side telling us how bad the other side is. You, ever, you get tired of that after a while because very rarely do they say what they're going to actually do. They just point out how bad their opposition is. That's kind of what Athens was like. They, they, they talked about each other, but they weren't really in a position to do what they were talking about, to step forward and, and make their lives a reflection of what they were saying about who they, they were. You know, we, we are that way too, are we not? We have a, a struggle making our lives consistent with what we believe on the inside. We'll believe things and we'll say we, we affirm various things, but so often we act to the contrary, even to the point where we destroy the very thing we hold dear in our lives. We would rather talk than actually do at times. I, my dad was always telling me stories about church and, and about church leadership and, and all as I was going into ministry. And one of the things he told me about was a, a, a particular church that had to, uh, people had to politic to hold an office in the church. Now, we don't do that here. We, we just ask people to serve, and we, we trust people to, to be willing to serve and to get involved. But this particular church, they wanted to hear from these people about who they were and what they would do if they were elected. Well, the treasurer's job was open. And one of the guys got up and said to the congregation, you know, folks, I have, I have never stolen a thing in my life. All I'm asking for is the opportunity. <laughs> Sounds like politicians, doesn't it? You know, I've never stolen anything. I'm just looking for, I'm just looking for an opportunity. The Athenians had all that outside stuff, but it didn't really affect their lives with, with the change that it, it should have changed them. Uh, they were kind of like people all dressed up, but not really willing to go anywhere. They wanted the trappings of this thinking, the, the trappings of the ideas and the great thoughts and, and philosophies of, of their day, but they didn't really want it to change their, their normal daily, daily lives. And especially their ideas about who God is. God was, in a way, very remote to them. God was a God who stood at a distance, a God who, who really needed them to, to build things and then and dedicate them to them. But then they, they didn't really want those kinds of, of gods to touch their lives and, and direct them. They feared God. They were afraid of God because God was awesome and powerful and often did things that, that was not good for the normal human being. But this is what Paul says to them in the Areopagus about the unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples made by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You know, we in the 21st century, we, we read that kind of a passage, and what we hear is that God loves us, that God gives us everything, that God cares for us, and that God uh, wants to do stuff for us. 
He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who gives us life and breath. God gives us all these wonderful gifts. God is a a loving and caring God. But that's not what they heard in the first century. See, God was an awesome God, fearful they should be of God. And Paul's saying to them, you know what? This God you fear doesn't even need you. He doesn't need you to build him temples. He doesn't need you to build him altars. You can build them, but God doesn't live there. You see, God doesn't live in what you build by hands. Every idol and altar, but they're just simply things of the earth that will crumble and decay and fall away. You know, they've been searching for this monument that Paul talks about, the unknown God. They they have not found it. It was not in Athens. It crumbled and was destroyed and decayed. But you see, those Athenians, they wanted to talk about and think about all these latest ideas. They wanted to contemplate all of the, the, the modern thinking that was going on in, in Paul's day, but they didn't want it to touch their lives. We're often kind of like that, aren't we? We want to hear things. We want to, we want to talk about stuff. But so often we really don't want God to, to, to be a part of our lives because we're fearful of him. We're not sure what God's going to to demand of us, that God might punish us for the very things that we know we have failed Him in. You see, God does not need us is what Paul's saying here. Whether we do good or bad, God does not need us. It does not fulfill the being of God, what we do. But here's the paradox. God does not need us But God wants us. God wants us to seek Him, and God wants us to find Him. God wants us to find Him. You know, my kids were growing up, they loved the Where's Waldo books. Remember those books? They loved to look at them with me because I would always forget where Waldo was, right? They would always know, and they would just razz me a little bit because even though we had looked at the books time after time after time, right, because that's the way kids are, I still couldn't find Waldo, even though he was on, on the page. And eventually, I'd, I'd find him. And then once you know where he is, you go, well, it's very obvious. Why, why couldn't I see him? He's right there in front of me. I was looking at coffee. And, you know, coffee is an interesting, an interesting thing. You start to look at coffee, and you start to actually see things in there, and then, then all of a sudden, this face popped out at me. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you don't see it. Do you see? Do you see? If, anybody see a face in there? Uh, uh, oh yeah. See, there it is. And see now, once you once you see that face, you have great joy because now you can ask other people. Say, do you see a face in that coffee? No. Oh, there's a face in that coffee. Just take a look. You'll find. You know. And, and then they don't know, and you say, hey, you want me to show you? You want me to show you where it is? I can show you. And they go, no, 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 I'll find it, I'll find it. You see, that's the way it is kind of with God. God is not someone who's hiding from us. It's just that we lose God's face in the, in the white noise of the world around us. There's so much peripheral that we fail to actually see the presence of the living God who is there in each day, who is there in each moment of our lives. 
And once we see Him, once we begin to notice God in our lives, we start seeing Him often. We start seeing Him in other ways. God touches us in, in our times of pain and illness, and we begin to see the presence and power of God working through those circumstances and through those events, and we begin to see then in other areas of our lives the caring of God and His presence and power in our lives. God wants us to find Him is what Paul was saying to the Athenians. And that's what he's saying to us as well. Paul goes on, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You see, God wants us to find Him. He is close by. He doesn't remote Himself from us. He doesn't make us jump through hoops to amuse Himself. He is evident if we are eager and looking for His presence. You see, this is really the Christmas story that Paul is telling the Athenians. It's the story of God becoming human. Some people call it the incarnation. It's the God taking on a human form so that we might know Him, that we might sense what God is truly like. God like us, someone we can relate to in a human sense and understand that God is not something to be feared and pushed away, but someone to be embraced and someone to pull close to us. Not an unknown God who's hiding from us, who asks us to do all sorts of things to come to Him, but a God who is so eager to reveal Himself to us. A God who risks it all to become like us. You know, just that thought at Christmas is an amazing thing that God would, would who is God over everything, would take on the form of His creation so that we might come to know Him in an intimate and personal way is an awesome thing. That's what Paul was saying to the Athenians. This is the purpose of God, to reveal Himself to us in the work and nature of Jesus Christ, for us to be able to find Him. You know, the Scriptures are full of passages that talk about seeking and finding and looking and, and discovering. And most of those are about God, that we seek God, we find God. It, it, it's clear that if we seek God, we will find, not, that, not to seek and maybe you'll find. It says seek and you will find is the God whom we serve, the God who we strive to know. Therefore, since we are God's offering, Paul goes on, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. God, God is not made out of stone or gold. It's not something we've fashioned. Now, we don't put up altars these days. We don't put up idols as a part of our, our daily lives. But there are other things in our lives, if we're honest, that begin to take the rightful place of the living God. And it's different for each one of us. You know, we all have our things that, that begin to consume us, that we begin to serve 
in a sense, just because we have them and possess them, and now we must maintain them and care for them. And in that maintenance and care, it begins to consume our lives, our thoughts, our actions, and the actions we then have towards others as well. We can't do something, we can't be there for someone because we have to be home to take care of something. And that says to them that what we have to take care of is more important than knowing them and being with them. In the past overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn around, to change our direction, to go away from the things that are drawing us and calling us to serve that are not of God, to change from that, to turn and to serve the living and true God. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead, Jesus Christ. You see, God wants us to serve him, not the inanimate things of our world, not the things that really don't bring us any happiness. They bring us work. They bring us struggle. They bring us pain. And the little joy that they sometimes do bring is fleeting. They don't bring depth of joy as being in the presence and knowing the living God. The Apostle Paul could see the Athenians did so much talk and did so little walking. They had so little action. They didn't, they didn't ha let this become an expression of their, their lives. They loved ideas, but not the source of ideas. They served idols and stone and ignored the living and true God. They paid lip service to all their great and powerful ideas, basically ignoring them. We're that way too. We make promises, we don't keep them. We make commitments and we set them aside at the slightest whim. We make promises and sidestep their fulfillment. We're not true to our word. We're not true to what we say we believe. But God is true. God is faithful. God is consistent in our lives, meeting us where we are struggling, meeting us where we are in pain and hurting speaking to us and drawing us into the safe place, into his motel, into his place of comfort and assurance. That's what God seeks for us, not to push us away and make us struggle apart from him, to try and find him somehow, some way, somewhere. No, God comes to meet us. God comes into our very presence. You see, that's why he came to speak like us, to talk to us, and to let us hear His voice, to know who He is, and to know what He wants for us in our lives. A God who does not need us, but a God who wants us, a God who reaches out for us and calls us to come and find Him. Great American commentator Paul Harvey and if you don't know who Paul Harvey is, Paul Harvey was famous for the rest of the story. 
He uh, was a commentator for many, 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 many years, radio commentator. Wonderful, wonderful uh, a man. Uh, always sharing something of depth when he talked. Uh, was not trivial. It was not light. It was not the fluff of things. One year he shared a story. It's become a fairly, fairly famous story about a man who couldn't grasp an understanding of why Jesus came and was born in a stable. Why that had to happen. It just didn't make sense to him. And he was not trying to be hypocritical. He was just trying to be honest that, that the whole incarnation of God in human form just was a, was a great mystery and he couldn't grasp it. And Paul Harvey shared the story of what happened to this man. Paul Harvey can say it much better than I can. Paul Harvey and his Christmas story. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed and they went to the midnight service. Now shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. 
If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears. Above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas and he sank to his knees in the snow. God bless you guys. Have a great day. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.